Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my pals David Moore and Evan Grant. David, did you make it back from California okay? Kevin, I'm not one of those to uh, bore people with travel travails and how tough the life is on the road. And uh, let me tell you about yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, I, I am back uh, finally. Thank you. Yeah, after about a, what it was like a 24-hour delay almost, something like that? Well, it was an 11-hour delay from leaving the gate. And then uh, once we landed at DFW, there may have been some uh, uh, issues at the gate, let's say. Well, when you get in that, when you get in after midnight, uh, you know, you got the ghost crew. You're up to chance, right? It's just whoever's there. Yeah, exactly. I always love the fact when you land, it's like, all right, we don't have a gate. It's like, did it, did we just surprise everybody when we landed? Is that, is that what happens on these flights? It's like, oh, wait a minute. Here's a plane out here on the tarmac. Uh, Our jet bridge didn't work. And so I think they just got the, uh, someone was there like, restocking the Cinnabon and they asked him to, to come over and see if he could do something with the jet bridge. I'm not sure. So then, you know, so then they I, I don't know if you guys are do that time of night, you know, I, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but the, the, the DFW airport does have a, um, they have an internship program after, after midnight. And it's basically any kid can come down there and just play with the jet bridge. <laughs> I think it's great. I think it's a great program. I think uh, did, so David, did y'all jump out onto those big, Rubber things and then just slide down. Is that how y'all got off the plane? There was a, a growing cry among many of the passengers just to do the jet bridge so we could all slide down. But uh, for some reason, the pilot uh, ignored the, that request. Oh, man, that would have been great. That is the one. But let me tell you something. There, You can put up – this, this is going to sound like first word problems, of course. But you can put up with a lot of things. There are innumerable reasons – why flights get delayed today and God knows we want those flights to go off safe. And so, you know, you put up with delays, but once you've gotten to the airport later than expected, that's where it's like, you knew we were showing up. You knew we were going to show up late. Could you not have planned for this a little bit better? That's the one point in time where I'm like, all right, you've kind of lost me here. I've, I've, I've lost patience at this point. Yeah, that's, that's what it always feels like to me anyway. They don't care. Uh, so anyway. Well, that's enough of our uh, travel problems uh, with David Moore. Um, our travel problems? Well, I don't have any travel problems. We're all a team here. Come <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, boy, David. You were suffering with me last night. I appreciate it. I was really suffering with I you. I felt your, both of your presence with me. Whenever I read your stuff, David, I'm always suffering with you. <laughs> yeah, most people do. That's yeah. why so few read now. <laughs> oh, stop it. All right. So let's talk about this uh, this ending. You know, David, I really Are you going like, to introduce me or what? I already said he Evan did. David Moore. He even mentioned you first. Yeah, come on. Quit being so oh such a wise uh, butt. Okay, All come right. On. So wait a minute. Did you introduce the, the fact that we've got a Sundance, that this show is coming from Sundance? This show is being produced at the Sundance Film Festival by our old pal, Christian Vasquez, who was the director of cinematography for a, uh, a film, Eureka, that made the, the, the festival. He's already been on a panel. My gosh, you know, meanwhile, the rest of us are just slinking along here in our careers, and Christian is taking off. People can't see him. We, we, we're actually on a, the equivalent of a Zoom call here, and 
and Christian's sitting on a couch in his suite, and uh, Robert Redford just walked by. So that was a nice touch, I thought. But in all honesty, now look, I, I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, and Christian, you feel free to jump in here and tout your film if you want. But Eureka. Well, is the more you talk, the less Kevin does. So please. That's yeah. a good point, too. Um, Eureka is spelled O U R I K A, and it's going to be available online. So. Uh, people can Google it, and it's just a short film. It's, I, I believe, 19 minutes, right? 19 minutes, Christian says. Um, it's he obviously nods. a silent film because Christian doesn't talk. <laughs> um, no, it, 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 it's, it's a talkie and everything, and we're extremely proud of him. And I don't know that there's a podcast in America this week that's being um, that has lower content but a higher production value. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, – Three cheers here for Christian for the job done on that, and uh, and many more to come. Uh, we're we're sure of that. And it's a Dallas based film, so watch the film, people. Yeah, there you go. Uh, a Dallas based director as well, Xenia Matthews. All right. Uh, so uh, the Cowboys lost. Uh, big deal. They lose all the time. Why, <laughs> why do we even care? Uh, <laughs> but thank you for minimizing my life. Well, that's true. <laughs> but David, here's here's the thing for for me, and, I don't, and obviously what we want you just to kind of talk about uh, exactly the thrust of this entire thing now and going forward. But I, I really felt like that there was, you know, obviously a big step taken beating Tampa Bay on the road uh, and and breaking that thirty year uh, you know road losing streak in the playoffs. Uh, and beating Tom Brady, and that was a that was a big step for this team. I know a lot of people want to minimize it by saying, "Ah, oh, Tampa Bay is no good. Wait till they play San Francisco." Well, okay, yeah, I, I understand that to a certain extent. Obviously, San Francisco is a, a really good team, um, but they had a you know a rookie quarterback, and I really felt like they had a chance to win this game, and they did have a chance to win this game, David. If if you had told us before the game that the 49ers were only going to score 19 points, I'd have said, well, then the Cowboys are going to the NFC Championship game. Surely they'll score more than 19 points. And, of course, they didn't. And it wasn't just the fact that they only scored 12 points. <clears throat> it was the fact that it looked so silly at the end. And once again, we had mis- uh, what I believe were mistakes made by the head coach. Uh, and, then, and then to end it in a way that was – almost as humiliating as the end of the game last year against the 49ers uh, with Dak playing musical chairs with officials and then and running around and, and trying to get a timeout to get off a last play. This one, I may, maybe in some ways, it might have been more humiliating the way that ended in that ridiculous play that they sent out on the field for the last play. Well, certainly more humiliating for Ezekiel Elliott, who uh, snapped the yeah. ball and wound up on his, uh, potentially his last play in a Cowboys uniform being the center. But, well, you know, what what struck me on, on what you just said is that when you don't take care of business and, and play from behind all game, you look desperate or silly at the end of a playoff game, especially because you know what the stakes are and, and uh, you know, the, the intensity's ramped up and, and it just starts to get away from you. You do some uh, what appear to be some nonsensical things. Um, that's happened again to Dallas. Uh, you know, I, I made this observation at the half of the game and I stick with it. And, and my point was watching this game, I don't know that Brock Hurdy will do anything to win this game for San Francisco 
but Dak Prescott can lose it for Dallas. And by and large, I do believe that's what happened. I, I think you saw an outstanding defensive effort from Dallas. Um, now, you know, the, the loss of Tony Pollard impacted their game plan. They were going to run more. They, you know, Dallas felt they would have to run the ball 30 to 35 times, uh, let's just say north of 30 carries to, to really have the game they wanted and, and to beat San Francisco. They only got up to 22 carries, uh, and that's because of when Pollard went out and them playing from behind. But, you know, we, we've seen good back and, you know, good Dak and bad Dak over the course of this season. Uh, we got both in, in this postseason in a span of eight days. Uh, you had Dak Prescott playing as well as he can play, arguably one of the best games of his career, uh, if not the best game in the wild card victory over Tampa Bay. And then he comes back in San Francisco against a rookie quarterback who I will say looked like a rookie quarterback in that first half. I, I thought Dallas's pressure was outstanding. Uh, they really had him confused. They were getting him in third and long situations because they stopped the run. Everything they wanted to do defensively was working. Uh, but two interceptions by Dak in that first half, uh, questionable decisions throughout. In my mind, easily could have had two to three more interceptions in that game. Um, it it was this one. This one lays at the feet of Dak, and he he said so as much after the game. And I thought his response what to a very direct question was because now uh, you know this team has not advanced past the divisional round since 1995. Uh, they are 0-7 in divisional playoff games during that span. And he was asked directly, what does this team have to do in order to break that ceiling and get back to the NFC Championship game? And his response immediately without taking a breath was, I have to play better. Yeah, that's there's no question about that. And he has to you know, realize that. Uh, and, I, and, I, and, and here's the thing, David. From all the people I'm hearing about who were always Dak haters, you know, in, in the best of times they were Dak haters. I didn't hear from them after the game against Tampa Bay, but then, of course, they all piled on again after the game against the 49ers, uh, is that what happened to Dak this year? Uh, why did he have so many interceptions? He had a, a 1.8 interception percentage going into this season, and this year it was 3.8 uh, and, uh, and climbing, frankly. Uh, so did teams find out – the best way to play Dak. I mean, we know that he's better when he's uh, in play action. He's much more effective than he is just when in a drop back situation. Uh, I think they showed a stat during the game that showed that uh, his percentage in uh, in just a, a, a plain drop back or in a shotgun formation were uh, really well below average his completion percentage. So, did teams just figure out how to play Dak, or was there does he have a problem of some sort. Well, um, th there's there's a lot there to unpack. Um, you know, I will start by saying it, it's interesting. Um, you know, when Mike McCarthy took this job three years ago, his stated goal was, you know, he didn't bring elements of his West Coast offense in. He kept the staff in place, uh, including Kellen Moore, saying, you know what, this is who Dak is comfortable with. You've seen him grow in this system. I want to do, you know, I want to keep that around him to continue his development. This is this is all about making Dak Prescott comfortable. Three years later, I would say it's time to take a look at all of that, and it's time to make Dak Prescott a little bit uncomfortable. 
uh, ask him to do some different things, maybe tweak this offense, uh, explore whether he has too much freedom and needs more restrictions placed on him as far as uh, what he reads at the line and, and where he goes. And, it, and all of this are, are going to be discussions here going forward. But as far as figuring anything out, I think there are a couple of things. Um, Dak defenders out there, uh, and on social media, you're either or, right? You're either all in or on Dak, or he's the worst thing that's you know has has ever happened to the NFL uh, at the quarterback position. But but defenders of Dak out there will consistently point to, well, look at this receiving crew; they're not helping him out. Uh, look at this route. Look at what the receiver didn't do there. Um, Michael Gallup's an example of that first interception where they they throw him out to the sidelines. Uh, he really breaks it off at the at the at the stem and then doesn't come back, and then when the the defender jumps on it, he just stays there and drifts outside rather than going for the ball. So, yeah, there are those elements. Um, But Dak knows how Gallup often reacts on those plays, and he doesn't have to throw it there, right? I mean, it's not like I am forced to throw here. And and I think – so, one, the receivers haven't helped him out as much as as they can. Two – you know, a lot of these routes are coming back, the receiver with the back, and they're not in motion. So they're stationary tar- targets a lot of times that gives the defense more latitude if they if they spot the play and know what it is to get there and break it up or get the interception. And three, I think Dak has gotten very much into the uh, – I think, I think he needs to reset his risk-reward compass. Um, before, it was always, okay – I know I can get a reward here, but that's too risky of a throw. I'm not going to do it. You constantly see Dak making risky throws now, going into tight windows, and you keep hearing him talk about the trust he has in himself, the trust he has in his receivers. You have to have trust, but the bottom line is execution, and he hasn't been executing. And he continues to say, talk about the trust he has in himself and his receivers but that trust hasn't been benefiting the team over the, you know, the final end of the season. And, and the last one is Dak has just been inconsistent this year. And, you know, it was it, it was in the season after after he came back from that five games he missed and in four or five games in, um, I asked him a question about how he has been more erratic than he had been uh, earlier in his career. And, you know, Dak usually answers everything immediately. He really st- – he really stood there. The question surprised him because it goes against who he thinks he is. And then he kind of gave a polite answer and said, well, I don't think I am, but then gave an answer that, well, I can see why you would think this and, you know, the sort of thing. Now, then the next game, he had one of his best regular season games and he brought it up unsolicited in the locker room after, you know, in the post game afterwards saying, well, some people out there have even called me erratic. So I, you know, I do hear the criticism and all of this. So it struck a chord with him. He doesn't, I don't think he perceives himself that way. But when he steps back and looks at this season, I don't know how he can look at himself in any other way. And the question is, how do you become that consistent Dak Prescott we've seen early in your career, not the one we saw this season? I, I, you know, my takeaway on this, on this entire game was that I feel like I've been on the Dak. If, if, if somebody had to fall on one side or another, I feel like I've fallen on the Dak defender side for for a long period of time here, and I think that after watching these two playoff games, I 
feel like my my takeaway on Dak at this point in time is that the Cowboys are certainly capable of reaching a Super Bowl with Dak Prescott as the quarterback. I don't think he's capable of taking them to the Super Bowl on his back. Uh, He is, once and for all, he's not an elite four quarterback. I don't know that anybody really thought that he was in that conversation, but this is where that is determined, right? Against a bad, uh, quite frankly, against a bad Tampa Bay Buccaneers team and with a defense that got out to a fast start, he really got some momentum and played really, really well. Against Tampa Bay, I mean against San Francisco, when he was down a weapon in with the Pollard injury and he needed to try and make some things happen, he just couldn't. Um, and when he did try to do it, he made mistakes. I don't understand... Again, I go back to this one thing. The the run, the keeper, was such a big play on the touchdown drive, and I feel like he's capable of doing that more often, and I do not understand and have not understood why the Cowboys don't put him in that situation more, especially if they lack other other weapons. He is an offensive weapon on that front. We remember, listen, remember going back to Tony Romo, who was a very talented quarterback, obviously, uh, a guy who – who was a, a, a much more accurate passer than Dak is, a much more talented, gifted uh, thrower than Dak is, and that's not a you know that's not a criticism of Dak. Tony was was really good at that kind of thing. Gambled too much, that was his biggest problem. Uh, but uh, but he, he could do a lot of things. But even then, they talked about making the team Romo friendly, you know. So so a quarterback does have to have certain things around him, and there's no question about that. Tom Brady struggled this year because he, he didn't have a connection with his receivers uh, like he's had it in the past. You know, that's, that's been an issue. Although when he was in new England, he, you know, occasionally he would have good receivers. And of course he had a, a, an all world tight end, but uh, there were, there were always issues at times and yet he still won anyway. And, and to Evan's point, and that's exactly, exactly right. What we learned is that Dak is not the kind of quarterback who's going to put the team on his shoulders and go up win that game. For everything that went wrong against San Francisco, with three minutes left, he had the opportunity to take the team down the field and win. I'm watching the game with my sons, and I said, everything that's happened so far, it could all be fixed right here. He could go down the field. They could even go for two, which might not have been a bad idea instead of kicking for the tie, and he could win the game, and there will be no time left on the clock, and that will be it. Uh, and, he, and it was a miserable failure. It was a three and out. Uh, so I, I think – from my standpoint, you know, one of the things we talked about with the interceptions, I agree wholeheartedly about the the interception with Gallup. Gallup looked like he was he might as well have bought a ticket and, and stood on the sideline. Uh, he just gave up on the play. How does a how does a defensive back who is looking at the play just like he's looking at the play? How does he not understand? I need to move up on a stop route. It doesn't mean to stop. It means that you come back to the ball. You keep coming back to the ball uh, and, until you get it. And he just stopped and stood there and watched the play happen. So that was a terrible failure on his part. But there's also the tendency on Dak on those plays to stand and look and pump and pump and then throw. And then that's what's giving these defensive backs the opportunity to move up. But there was also the miss of T.Y. Hilton uh, when both he and CeeDee Lamb ran seam routes down the field, if you all remember, he threw deep, uh, and the play was broken up, and yet T.Y. Hilton was running wide open. And he's only about 10 yards 
away from CeeDee Lamb. It's impossible to throw the ball to CeeDee Lamb and not see T.Y. Hilton, or you would think so. That would have been a touchdown if he if he hits him on that play. There was nobody covering him. I'm not saying – obviously, quarterbacks you know, don't see guys that are open. That happens at times. But in a key part of that game, when a, a guy is in the middle of the field and you have to know he's there and you have to see that, he, he, he did not – he did not get it. Dak is not seeing things well down the field. We, we hear that all the time about the problems that they've experienced in their offense. So, so let's move on. Okay, go ahead, Evan. To that point, you know, I, on that, on that three-minute drive at the end of the game, he had Gallup deep. And yes. he did have an opportunity. All he had to do was execute a pass. Yes. And the pass was poorly underthrown. And we've seen that. We've seen receivers have to come back for balls. We've seen receivers have to reach across their body for balls. And that was just a case where you can't underthrow that ball. Well, he also underthrew the ball to C.D. Lamb, and he made the terrific catch on the 46-yard completion. Right. The, you know, C.D.'s running wide open on that one. If he leads him correctly, that's a touchdown. Yep. Uh, and and they don't score on that play because C.D. Had to, had to slow up. The defensive back ran into him on the play, and he still made the catch, a phenomenal catch. But it was not a well-thrown ball. Uh, it, it feels like to me that Dak this year, many times when things were going well and it was clicking, he was very fluid and his confidence is up. When it was not going well, he was a little startled, couldn't read things, and it felt like somebody just tensing up a little bit, like he was like he was playing without confidence. And, and of course, we know you, you can't be that as a professional athlete. And despite his protests after games, I do feel like a lot of this did get to him. And it should have gotten to him, frankly. Uh, he had reason to, to doubt what was going on because this is not championship play. If he had played a decent game, not a great game, if he had played a decent game, the Cowboys would have won, I believe, even without Tony Pollard. I think that, they, that the defense did enough stopping Brock Purdy and keeping him from getting out. I mean, that was – the play to, to George Kittle down the middle of the field, uh, that's all George Kittle. That that was not Brock Purdy. And that even the 49ers talked about how that's the play that got them going on offense, right? That's when they started to put things together. And, of course, you know, we could point to a million other things, why Trayvon Diggs ducks his head and, and whiffs on the miss instead of trying to go for the ball or to deliver a clean hit. And then when he missed the interception, the ball deflected right into his stomach could have stopped uh, a field goal down there uh, also in, in the game. You know, but, so Kevin, to your point, at the very outset, you said if the Cowboy defense played well, you'd feel really good. And of the of the four units that took the field on Sunday, I think we would all agree that the Dallas defense was had the best game of any of those four units. And to walk away without a win, um, it just feels like a lost opportunity. Absolutely. All right, so let's look at it this now. We want to take the four people in this game uh, and and discuss whether they will be back uh, and whether they should be back. So I want to start, first of all, with Mike McCarthy. We're going to go across the board here. David, uh, I want you to tell me, will he be back, should he be back, and a, a quick summation of why. He will be back. He should be back. Um, you know, Jerry Jones, who left him – twisting in the wind publicly last year after the loss to San Francisco, 
uh, was just adamant on several occasions. Uh, uh, he was in you know, outside the locker room immediately afterwards with a big group of reporters. Myself and two or three other people walked with him outside of the stadium again. Unequivocally, uh, Mike McCarthy will be back. Okay. Evan? Uh, I think he will be back. I think he, he probably should be back. I, I know that the Sean Payton specter always exists until he's coaching another team. But look, Mike McCarthy's won, what, 25 games over the last two years at, at, at the helm of this team. Uh, he's gotten the Cowboys in position in the playoffs to win. Now, there are some things that I'm not crazy about. The, some of the clock management decisions late in games have been questionable. Um, the, the penalties have always been a real issue for me. But bottom line is you got to get to the tournament and you got to get to the tournament in good shape. And he's put this team in good position going into the tournament. All right. I'm going to say he will be back. Obviously, I think we know that for pretty much for sure. Should be back. I'm, I'm a little waffling on the should be back. I would at least check out Sean Payton, see what he had in mind. Give him a call. Give the Saints a call. Find out what it would take to get him. Um, I know that sounds uh, harsh uh, for a guy who's won 25 games in two years. Uh, that That is a, a considerable achievement. He has provided a culture here. Of course, that's what we always said about Jason Garrett as well, right? That, oh, the culture is good, that, you know, they, they play hard, they do everything they, they, they're supposed to do, and yet, you know, they don't get anywhere in the playoffs. Now, my, my issue with Mike has always been, from the very beginning, from his very first game, just some of the decisions that get made during the game, they just leave you shaking your head. Uh, and I, and, and I, I thought we'd kind of gotten past all that until this game. The uh, punting on both fourth down uh, plays in, in the fourth quarter, to, to me, the analytics said you should go for it on those, uh, when, especially when you're on their end of the field. Uh, and then with uh, two minutes left, uh, when they decided to punt, they didn't get the, the you know the punt team out there, wasting precious seconds. Those are all issues for me. Uh, the head coach has to make the right decisions in those situations. I don't care as much about the culture in those moments as I do about guys making the right calls. But I do think he will be back too. All right, next, Dan Quinn, defensive coordinator. David, he is. Uh already taken part in three interviews and in fact to, uh, as, as we uh, produce this podcast today well Christian produces as we just talk we really yeah. don't do anything of, of note um, yeah I believe he's going to talk to Arizona it'll be the third um, I, I believe he is likely to be gone I, I think one of these teams uh, or, or more is going to make him an offer and, and as long as it's the right one and he feels good about it I believe he'll leave to become a head coach. Evan? I, I think he should be back. Um, he's done a great job as the Cowboys defensive coordinator, and he certainly rehabilitated himself as a as a head coaching candidate. Um, will he be back? I, the, the question I have is, how many of these jobs that are out there are truly going to be attractive jobs? Is the Denver job attractive? Is the Arizona job attractive? Is Indianapolis attractive? And could he up his stock and put himself in a better position with one more year as the Cowboys head coach. Ultimately, I think that, that once you've been a head coach, the, the desire to remain a head coach is too great. And so I think that as, as long as one of these jobs is offered to him, I think he's going to end up taking it. Uh, 
Yeah, I agree with that. Obviously, he's done a great job. Uh, they they started to slump a little bit in the second half of the season. The, uh, the run de- defense has constantly been a problem, but I think that's more a matter of personnel than it is scheme. Uh, they're just not built uh, to stop the run, and Jonathan Hankins really helped a lot uh, from that standpoint. Uh, I, I think you can you can – Maybe wait too long to be to take one of these jobs. Maybe not. You know, Dan Quinn's been successful. He's been to a Super Bowl as a head coach. He's been a great defensive coordinator. I think he can probably, you know, choose to be uh, as choosy as he wants to be uh, in this situation. If he wants to wait another year, he's coaching a team that has some great young talent on it. I'm sure they will add some more. So I, I could see him staying. But, uh, yeah, I think if the right one comes along, he would leave, and that would be a shame. All right, David, uh, Kellen Moore. Should he stay? I think that's going to be a conversation at the star. Um, and, and this is not strictly a referendum on, on how he's gone about and done his job. I think he is better than certainly a lot of fans want to give him credit for, and especially in this moment after after seeing uh, coming off a, a, another frustrating loss in the postseason. Um, but also, you, sometimes you have the trickle-down effect, right? And, and I think a big part of the conversation now is, does, does Dak Prescott need to hear from some different voices in order to get him back on the right track? And... In one capacity or another, Kellen Moore has been with Dak Prescott every step along the way. Um, one me- one person we haven't mentioned in here because we know uh, they're not going anywhere is Jerry Jones. So you know Jerry Jones isn't going anywhere. Mike McCarthy isn't going anywhere. Dak Prescott, because of his contract, isn't going anywhere. So where do you go in the conversation to make a move where you can tell your fan base and – people within the building that we can have a different outcome this year, you go to offensive coordinator and position coach, and that's Kellen Moore and Doug Nussmeyer. Uh, Kellen Moore has one year left on his contract. Doug Nussmeyer's contract is up this year. Again, I don't think any either one of them have performed at a level that you can argue they should lose their job. But in the NFL, perception does become reality, especially when you're – following uh, it, the the comings and goings of the league's most popular team, the Kardashians of the NFL. So um, I, I think, uh, should he go? I think that's up for conversation. Will he? Um, he's interviewing uh, in, in Carolina this week. I think it's more likely that Dan Quinn gets a gets offered a head coaching position in the NFL than, than Kellen Moore at this stage. Um, to me, this is the biggest question mark going forward as far as the competition of the staff. Evan? Will he stay? I think he, I think ultimately he will, because I don't think he's going to get offered, um, a head coaching job based off of, off of what has taken place in the playoffs. Um, should he stay? I, I, that's a, again, I think that's a, that's a really good question. And, and, you know, earlier in this conversation, David mentioned, you know, you want to do things that put your that make your I make your quarterback comfortable. Right. You want to make your quarterback as comfortable as possible. But I also feel like there's something to be said for getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And to David's other point, sometimes hearing from a different voice is what's necessary. The realization here is that I think 
this combination has gone as far as it can. And you realize that Dak as, as built is not, is not what you would call a Super Bowl winning quarterback. He is a guy, he is a good quarterback, but he needs more. And the only way, since you're not going to get rid of Dak Prescott, the only way to improve this situation is to try and improve the coordinator around him and to improve the weapons he has to use during during the game at his disposal. All right, I think both of you guys make uh, really excellent points about uh, Kellen Moore, and I'm going to add one more. Besides the fact that the uh, offense uh, or, or that Dak uh, Prescott obviously has regressed as a quarterback, I don't think we can look at this year, this season, and say, well, this is just a blip on the radar. He just had this really bad year, and then he'll go back next year to be in the quarterback who's very careful with the ball, doesn't turn it over a lot. And frankly, that's just what you had to have. You know, had he just been that quarterback, as I said earlier, I think the Cowboys would be playing an NFC championship game now. Um, you know, turning the ball over, though, you just can't have that. That's Those are just killers, uh, especially in games like that. And that's what happens to you. But I would also say that too many times over the course of the last few years that we, we've constantly asked the question, well, what happened to Tony Pollard in this game? Or what happened to C.D. Lamb in this game? You know, you have to be able to get your best players into the to the game. And, you know, even the decisions, uh, there were a couple of times in the in the game uh, Sunday where, you know, Zeke's in the game. This was before Tony Pollard was out, and there was a crease. And, boy, you can see this hole, and then Zeke gets tripped up because he just doesn't have the gas to get through that hole. And, 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 I, and they could have been game breakers, you know. So – you know, I, I'm all for the idea of having both running backs, but we've had this discussion all along about, well, what's the breakdown of this? Should it be 60, 40, you know, 50, 50, what should it be? And, uh, and, and maybe this is not Kellen Moore's call. Maybe this is, maybe this comes from Mike McCarthy. Maybe it comes from Jerry Jones for all I know about how many times these guys have to carry the ball. But uh, I think there are enough other questions about this offense uh, that, that Kellen Moore needs to go. I, I believe that if he if he doesn't get another offer, I think he probably will be back. I think he should not be back. I think he definitely should not be back. I think that they it's time now to move on to another voice and someone else in Dak's ear. All right. Very last one, Dak Prescott, before I go to my panel here, uh, I want to point out that we all know that he'll be back because of uh, the commitment here. He's going to count He's a $49 million cap hit next year. If they were to release him now, he would be an $89 million dead cap hit. That is why he's not going anywhere as the Cowboys quarterback. He's also guaranteed $31 million this year. That's 31 guaranteed that he would get even if he were cut. Uh, in two years, this year and after next year, uh, we can have a different discussion about all this. But to this point, uh, it's just it's a, it's a non-starter. So, David... The question is not is not now will he be back because we know that, but should he be back? He should be back, but as I said, they need to look at uh, the system, what they're asking him to do in the system, uh, why he has regressed. Here's the other thing: we keep talking about, uh, you know, he hasn't gotten better. Maybe some of this should be about getting him back to who he was when he came in his rookie season. Uh, which, which was his best season, which he had his best touchdown to a uh, turnover ratio. So you know, we're seven years into Dak Prescott's career. Everyone should know who he is and what he is and what he isn't. And he's better than most quarterbacks in the league, 
but he's not transcendent. He can win you some big games. He can also lose you some big games. So how do you structure the personnel around that quarterback? And what responsibilities and what offensive scheme do you put him in to enhance consistency and to to chip away at the inconsistency. I would say that not just came up this season, but you saw last season in the second half after he came back from his calf injury. Um, I think you're dealing with a little larger sample size here. So these are some very difficult questions they need to sort through. And, and, and very quickly, so many people will go, well, just put better talent around them. Come on, you, this guy didn't have receivers. What? Did, and, and they will continue to, to point to um, – Amari Cooper trade as organizational malfeasance and go, well, look, I mean, you know, how would Amari Cooper look on this team? I agree. It was a downgrade in talent, but ask yourself this, did Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper get past the divisional round? No, it runs much deeper than just saying, get him better receivers. Evan? I, yeah, I mean it's a it's a moot point, but I I, I think the uh, I, I'm I'm with you in a lot of ways that I want to see Dak go back to doing some things that we saw earlier on in his career and that seem to have stopped after the ankle injury. Um, I, I want to see him moving more. I want to see him. I, I want to see him run. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't care if that's more RPOs. However you, however you use it, he is a weapon with his legs. And when you take that out of the mix, you know, we're sitting here talking about surrounding Dak with as many good options as possible. Well, you've got one in-house. Allow him to, to, to move outside of the pocket and do things with the ball. And I think, that, I think that needs to be something that is stressed and communicated to him by whoever is the coordinator and, and whoever is the head coach. And I think it's something that Dak needs to spend time in his own head getting comfortable with again. Uh, one, one of the things that I had read going into the game was that uh, the 49ers defense, as great as it was, struggled when quarterbacks got to the edge, uh, when they rolled them out, bootleg, that type of thing. I think they were giving up 8.1 yards per play when the quarterback got to the edge. In that game, David, the, the touchdown to Dalton Schultz, uh, was the one time I, I remember seeing them do that. Uh, so I, I don't understand why they didn't do that more often. You know, I, I know that you want to be as varied as possible and, and, and surprise teams, and I'm all for that. But let's look at the Eagles this year with Jalen Hurts. When it's third and one, when it's fourth and one, what do they do? It's a quarterback sneak. There's no, there's no surprise. It's just that we're going to do this. We're, our, our guys up front are so good. Our quarterback is so powerful. We're just... We're just going to run this play, and this is what we do. And it's, there's not any real surprise to it. I think that that the the Eagles' offense is very simple uh, in what they and what they're asking Jalen Hurts to do. Now, look, Jalen is a better runner than Dak is. He's faster. He's well. He's younger. He's younger. He's faster. He's probably a little more powerful in lower body uh, than than Dak is. Although Dak's a big guy, we used to hear that all the time about what the, what a load he is to bring down. Well, listen, I understand after the, after he got hurt. And what that meant to the team when, when they lost him, and, and I'm sure that that he probably had some you know uh, problems with that. But I thought against Tampa Bay uh, that you know the bootleg, the times he scrambled, diving for the first down, he looked terrific. These are the things he has to do. These are the things that you can't account for on a football field as a as a defensive coordinator, and you have to introduce that element 
into the minds of that defense and of that coordinator. They have to feel like, what if he takes off? What do we do? You know, and I think that this year we felt like, and then, you know, frankly, that's been a little while since he came back from being hurt. I give him a little time, you know, to adjust again, but let's just face it. If Dak gets hurt, gets hurt again, is it really that big of a loss? I mean, when Cooper Rush came in, he went four and one. That that was pretty impressive. And I'm not saying that Cooper Rush needs to be the Cowboys quarterback. And by the way, he's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, so I, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, is that at some point you have to realize now this guy maybe isn't quite a franchise quarterback. Uh, maybe he's just a, a good quarterback and we like to have him. But if he can't do the things that we need him to do, then we'll just have to move on. He will be back. There's no question about that. Should he be back? In my mind, it's just so difficult to find another quarterback. You, know, you just never know what you're going to get. Obviously, Dak is good enough. They're going to need to do some things. And that's how I want to end our podcast today. What is it then going forward that you would do? We've all kind of talked about that a little bit. Do you think it's more a matter of adding personnel? Do we think that we need that the Cowboys need to add in the first round? Should they be trying to draft a wide receiver? Uh, is, is that what needs to happen? Is it just a merely a matter of what they asked him to do on offense and, and restructure this offense a little bit? Uh, do they need, obviously, I, I don't think any of this believes Zeke will be back. Um, and I don't, I don't think he should be back at this point, but let's kind of talk about that. Let's, let's look at all those elements and decide which one of those we want to pick. And if you've got your own, of course, you can go ahead and add those as well. So David, we'll start with you. Uh, with Dak, I, I think that the there need to be not an overall, not an overhaul of the current system, but some significant alterations uh, and, and tweaks. Um, you mentioned the mobility. I, I think you you need to put that in there. Uh, I think they need to redesign some of the routes they're having the receivers run. Uh, so, so I would really say a uh, a schematic, some schematic shifts in how they attack defenses, and an upgrade in personnel at wide receiver. Um, you know, Michael Gallup, I thought was a a a clear third best receiver, even though he's being paid to be the second receiver. You know, T.Y. Hilton was here for what four or five weeks, and in my mind, he was uh, clearly. Uh, the the second best receiver after CD Lamb, either through, either with a veteran free agent, which I wouldn't be adverse to, uh, and and I you can draft a guy and develop him right, but I would add I, I would alter the system, uh, tweak the system, and uh, I, I would add a veteran receiver to this mix. Evan, well, I guess just for. For the sake of being different, I, I I mean I agree with everything David said on, on that front. But for the sake of being different, and after the two really, I, I I hate to be so critical here, but the really boneheaded mistakes that Dalton Schultz made late in the game, and and just seeing what a guy like Kittle does for for San Francisco, and and what a guy like Kelsey does for 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 Kansas City. When you've got a tight end and when you've got a quarterback who's not great at throwing the ball down the field, when you've got that tight end that you can really trust and and who is not like Jason Witten was at the end of his career, very sure-handed, but was just going to fall down as soon as he caught the ball, um, it's it's a real weapon. And I'd like to see them 
bring a tight end in here, you know, a, 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 certainly not as a first round pick, but uh, the kid from Georgia, Darnell Washington, is a load. Uh, he's the, he's um, he's declared for the NFL draft. He's not as great a receiver as as um, uh, the other tight end is at Georgia. Brock um, Bowers. Brock, Brock Bowers. But I, I think that kind of, of player, um, you know, the Falcons have not used, gotten much out of Kyle Pitts. That kind of player, I think, as a as a addition to this offense, would give Dak um, would give him something that he's comfortable with because I don't know how comfortable he is throwing the ball downfield and and it shows up in how poorly these balls tend to be thrown. They just uh, that was a question I asked on Twitter at the end of the game on Sunday night was did it feel like this game plan wasn't terribly inspired because I didn't feel like they threw the ball down the field that much and I think what I got back from people was. He doesn't throw the ball down the field that well. So if you can't do that, I'd like to see them add something that allows him to really uh, improve the things he does well. David, you can correct me here, and of course you would uh, if I'm wrong here, but I think the Cowboys only have $6 million under the cap to spend as, as the things are right now. Is that correct? Yeah, but they have 19 free agents, so you'll have some more money. They, they'll have the money to do whatever it is they determine they want to do or need to do in this offseason. Okay, so uh, I, I think that they – obviously, they have built a team through the draft uh, in the last over the last 10 years, and, and that's a good thing. You know, they've built a good speaking. team through the draft. Their team, they have built well through the draft. Let's, let's well, say no, that. No question. And then and the good thing about that is it keeps you from – Having to give out huge contracts, to free agents, free agents yes, and overpay them. people, and that's and that's what's going to happen. So, I don't think that what they're going to add uh, is going to come outside the draft. It's going to make a significant difference, and I don't think know that they need to. I would agree hundred percent with what David said about T.Y. Hilton. I thought he really grasped the offense right away. He he was a dependable receiver. He ran his routes. He did the th- things the right way. He made a connection with Dak. Uh, I think that that's what. We've always seen it from Dak in the past is if he can count on this receiver to be where he's supposed to be and to fight for the ball and fight through the defensive back, then he'll be good. I, I think that's one of the things the Cowboys lack at wide receiver. They don't have that kind of receiver. Uh, you know, I don't want to say not everyone's a Des Bryant, but you need to have a receiver who can go up for that 50-50 ball and come away from it. I think what we found with Michael Gallup is that he's not that guy. I don't even really think CeeDee Lamb is that guy. Uh, I think CD's made some progress on that front this year. He's made some progress, but he, and certainly the ball, he he caught the 46 yard catch. That was great because he, he went through the defensive back to get it. And that, but he's not really built that way either. He's not a, he's not a big guy. And I, I wouldn't mind for the Cowboys to have a receiver like that. If they add that in the draft and they have to get in the first round, I don't have a problem with them adding a tight end, but I do think, and, and this, we brought up about Dalton Schultz. I thought he had a good season, you know, Caught two touchdown passes against Tampa Bay, but then the two plays at the end of the game were just ridiculous. Uh, not to get your foot down, the second foot down on that. I just that was just mind numbing. He looked so nonchalant on that. It was like I don't. That was the word Greg was. Olson used. Was he was nonchalant? Yeah, it was just just unbelievable that that would happen. So I think that you know that Jake Ferguson and, and Peyton Hendershot are a great foundation for them at tight end. Uh, I'd like to see how they could progress. You know, if uh, but when it comes down to it in the draft, if if the choice is a uh, the better tight end, the better wide receiver, whatever is at that position when they draft, so that will be a, a significant factor for me. But I'd also just like to see them throw the ball to, 
to, to Tony Pollard more often, frankly. You know, how many times did he catch a ball at the end of the year, David? I mean, he did have, I think this was his best year in numbers in, in receiving, but I think he could catch more passes than he is now. You know, uh, in, in the game against uh, Minnesota, which I thought was one of the Kellen Moore's very, uh, better games, that's what they did. Threw the ball out to Tony out, out there a little bit. He, he made some people miss, and and that he's a guy that can make people miss. Uh, and and, and the, yet they were just hesitant to do that. I didn't feel like they made the most of Tony. I, I understand about the decision-making on whether you really want to put the ball in his stomach 20 times a game, 25 times a game. I don't think you want to. You know, he is the, the oddest-looking running back in his running style of anybody I can think of. He runs straight up, which, first of all, get, usually gets you killed. Uh, and, and and he's not a very big guy. Uh, and so you would think, how in the world is he going to be able to last? But he has managed to avoid uh, big hits. He has managed to avoid getting hurt for the most part. I think, ideally, if you could get him, he needs, a, to me, about 20 to 23, 24 touches a game. To me, that means that he needs to have about five passes thrown to him a game, and he needs to be running about 15 to 18 times a game. And that's and that's a, a really good thing. They need a different running back to go along with him. Uh, Zeke was that power back that they need down there, but he has no burst anymore. I, I think if they could – you could find running backs everywhere. And if you could find a running back with a little size, a little heft to him that they can use a, as a complimentary back, I think that would really help. I think they need to make this offense uh, a little simpler, as we talked about, uh, for Dak to run uh, and not make him force the ball. I, I'd like to see a, a little bit better possession receiver for him to throw to as well. And then I think maybe uh, the Cowboys can have something going for next year. Any, any final thoughts? Yeah, we can explore all of those in depth over the coming weeks on our podcast. Yes, we will. We'll explore those all week. You know, the, I don't want to throw the boss under the, uh, the bus here. But he was telling me, he said, I think we should probably write about the Cowboys, meaning me, for the my next couple of colleges. He said, there seems to be uh, a lot of angst out there. Now, I wanted to say back to him, you think? Do you think there's some angst about this? <laughs> always, always angst about the Cowboys. All right, everybody, that's going to do it uh, for our podcast this week. We thank you for that. We thank our, our pal Christian Vasquez for producing this from the Sundance Film Festival where he has his film, Eureka, which you can see online. Google it. Find it. I watched it. Evan watched it. I think David did, too. It's fun stuff. It's Listen, it's it's out there. It's different, but you're really going to like it. So from everyone in here, everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time. Hey, 